Welcome to another episode of Beyond Risk and Back. I'm your host, Aaron Huey. Thank you for being here. Uh, Please make sure as we get started while you're listening or when we're done, and you'll remember this, to hit those coveted listen, like, subscribe, share, leave me a review here so that more moms and dads can find the support they need as we keep offering these amazing guests talking about the tools, tricks, tactics, techniques for you to really navigate these kid struggles that you're going through. And I know that's why you're here, so thank you very much. And today is not about the kids. I want to make that really clear. Today, we're going to be talking about burnout. We're going to be talking about this self-recovery that you've got to go through. And I've said many times, if you're a listener on the show, when we would work with kids in treatment, if the parents didn't recover while the kids were in recovery, then you could set a stopwatch to how long the work is going to last. Moms and dads, if you don't create a process for your own recovery first, and I need to make sure that that's understood first, you're first now, especially you moms, you're first now. You've been spending your whole life being taught and trained that you've got to put everybody else's needs first. Help your dad, help your mom, help your teacher, help your brother, help your sister. No, this show is about you helping you. I've got Angie Weber. She is the creator of the Parent Toolbox. And what she's doing is really working on breaking generational cycles of parenting and helping parents build up their toolboxes with the skills to be more proactive with their health, physical, mental, and emotional health so that we can just be the best parents that we can. And I will say, founder over there on Podmatch, my team pulled her up and she's a mom of twins. So she's got double trouble going out. No, I don't know if her kids are trouble or not, but we're gonna find out Angie's story and what it's like to hit this parenting rock bottom. You know, what is what is caretaker's burden? What is caregiver's burnout? Let's really talk about it because as Angie and I were talking about off the air, this is not some sort of fancy coaching quote. This is actually a real thing. Angie, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here with my parents here on Beyond Risk and Back. Well, thank you so much for having me. I look forward to our conversation. Me too. Absolutely my pleasure. Let's just start, you know, back in the days of the dinosaurs and find out how you ended up where you are. You were in marketing and now you're doing something completely different. Uh, So take us back to the beginning. How'd you end up here? Absolutely. Yes. So for seven years, I helped run a marketing company here in the Twin Cities. I'm in the Midwest. And when you talk about burnout, I can completely relate to that. I can remember feeling burnt out without even realizing that I was burnt out. And I actually saw a speaker present about burnout. And he said it takes five to seven years to recover, which when we hear that, we think, no way. There's no way that can happen to me. And then I lived it. And it was horrible. And it wasn't just for myself that I was burnt out. 
I saw how it was affecting my marriage. I saw how it was affecting my parenting. I was not the funnest person to be around. I would wake up in the morning, have my to-do list going through my head. Before I even opened my eyes, I'd get up, walk across to the bathroom to get ready and see a load of laundry on the floor and instantly just be so crabby inside my head thinking, oh gosh, there's another thing that I have to do and when am I going to get that done? And what really came to light when my kids were about three years old is I got to spend a week with them between uh, Christmas. Christmas and New Year's because everyone was working from home that time. This was before, you know, working from home was really a thing. And uh, I spent time with them and it was just one of those light bulb moments that I was like, oh my gosh, I'm really missing out on my kids because my priorities are all over the place. And so I ended up going in and quitting my job, uh, kind of on a whim, uh, but it's what needed to happen because I was so burnt out. The passion wasn't there anymore. My mental health was really struggling. And again, I already said that affected multiple areas of my life. And then I kind of went on another journey. And where it really led me to is in 2020, before the pandemic hit, uh, because I don't have to remind anyone of the significance of that year. Right, sure. But prior, <laughs> prior to that, I had went through some personal trauma, and it really led me down this spiral. And my depression was really bad. My anxiety was really bad. And I started realizing that I needed to rediscover who I was as a person and not just as a mom and a wife. And uh, about a year and a half into my healing journey, uh, I realized that there was something within me that wasn't happy. There wasn't something that my husband could say or my kids could say or do to make me more happy. I really needed to do the work on myself. And I think that's what we forget a lot of the time is that it really starts with us. And so I went through some different programs and treatments to really figure out how I could take control of my mental health. Um, so my depression was really bad. I wanted to try find ways uh, without taking medication, which if medication works for you, there's no knock against that at all. I just wanted to explore more. I was more curious and I wanted to become more aware of what was happening inside of me. And so I went through these programs and just developed these amazing tools that I saw helping me so much. And so I started applying them to my kids and saw amazing results and thought more people need to know about this. And that was really the creation of the Parent Toolbox, helping parents really establish these tools in their parenting toolbox so that they could better be equipped themselves, and we can raise a future generation that has these tools that so many of us missed out on. When you're talking about some of the signs of this burnout, what were they? What were you noticing? And again, I I imagine a lot of the listeners, as they're going to be listening to you, are going to be like, oh, well, that's me. That's me. And their heads are bobbing up and down. And and we'll we'll get into to some of the deeper psychology of the symptoms and then the results. But what are the signs? What did you start seeing in yourself that really started to affect you? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of us moms or parents in general have these really high standards. And I was actually just having a conversation with someone today about the term super mom. And anytime my husband yeah. would say that to me, inside, I would get so angry because he was you trying to say it. You mean that's not a compliment? <laughs> it isn't. It isn't. And I was just talking to someone about this today, how she's like, if my husband called me super mom when I did the bare minimum for the day, that would be one thing. But when I got up and got the kids ready and made the lunches and did the laundry and did the grocery shopping and worked and did all this, and then he calls me super mom, it's the standard that we're holding ourselves to that is just unattainable oh, wow. all the time. 
And so I started getting really resentful on little things like that. Um, I was taking other people's opinions way too personal. I was cranky all the time. I wasn't sleeping well. I was super anxious, which of course I was trying to numb out or try to avoid a lot of those cues that our body was giving us. And there would be a lot of just distractions and uh, really no motivation to keep doing what I was doing because I was just stuck in this like high and low activation of my moods that I didn't know how to get out of. And so I think it's just these little things that we don't realize until we start looking at the bigger picture of like, oh yeah, all of that was working together and that's why I wasn't happy and that's why I was burned out versus just trying to struggle through every single day. That's phenomenal what you said about you setting up that that standard of care, like that what moms are supposed to be doing, that there's a standard of care mom should be providing, and that automatically leads into mom guilt. Now, you talk about mom guilt. What? How, first of all, what is it? How do you avoid it? Almost every mom suffers from it. So mom guilt is just, again, not feeling like you're meeting those standards. Feel like you're not doing enough for everyone else when really you're not doing enough for yourself. It can come up multiple times a day. Maybe it's you forgot to send a paper with your kids to school. Maybe it's that you forgot to sign them up for an activity or you yelled at your kids. And instantly we start kind of reverting back that something's wrong with us. And we have this overarching guilt. And honestly, a lot of it can come from those society norms that were being pushed on us as soon as we tell someone that we're pregnant. You know, you say, oh, we're having a baby. And then everyone comes out of the woodwork of, well, don't expect to sleep anymore. You're never going to have a clean house. These are all the negatives, you know, and these are the things you should do and shouldn't do. And let's be honest, stuff changes all the time. There's different parenting tips, different parenting styles that get bombarded on us. And then you see people's highlight reels on social media. And then you constantly compare yourself of, oh, my gosh, I'm not as good as Susie down the road because look at she made, you know, 15 dozen cupcakes for the school fundraiser. And I can't even muster up the energy to make a home cooked meal for my family. And then we start going in that spiral of comparison. And then we feel even more guilty about that. And it's just really breaking the cycle of the mom guilt and really identifying what are these cognitive distortions that our brain is telling us that isn't really true. However, most of the time we stay stuck in those. So we don't find evidence to challenge those thoughts and really come to term with what's really going on and being honest with ourselves. I actually had a friend in high school who helped me with this concept and it's carried with me into business, into relationships. And it started in high school with me wanting to be in a relationship with a girl that I thought thought was very attractive, but I was too nervous to talk to her. I was too nervous to, you know, write her a note. This was in the eighties. We were still writing notes and he, he was listening to me complain about how amazing she was and then bemoan the fact that I was too nervous whatever. And he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to picture her sitting down pooping. And it like, I, of course I laughed, but to this day, that concept has carried forward, whether I'm speaking on stage, whether I'm talking to someone, whether I have to go to the bank to ask for a loan. And most especially when I am on Facebook, looking at that idealized lifestyle, We forget that everybody poops. And that's even a wonderful children's book. Everybody poops. 
And that is the thing that humanizes. This person's up there talking about how amazing a parent they are and they've cooked a perfect meal and blah, blah, blah. It's a post on Facebook. They're not posting about their pooping. So picture them posting about pooping. And the bottom, the reality of this is we forget to humanize each other, don't we? We set other people up, we create a hierarchy, and then we comparison shop ourselves. Mm, absolutely. And I think you know, we are very self-centered people. Just as human beings, we're super self-centered. So we think that someone does something is a reflection of something we did, or they say something and it's a reflection of what we did. When in reality, if we picture them pooping or we just <laughs> really start to humanize them and understand like there could be four other things going on in their life right now that they're just projecting on me. It's not really about me. It's about them. And I think we forget that a lot of the times. Now, I see sleep deprivation, poor eating habits, failure to exercise, failure to stay in bed when you're ill, postponement of failure to make medical appointments. That, that, and then those are like some of the basics of this caregiver burnout, that when we start doing this because we're so busy putting our children first, putting our work first, then all of a sudden we come home from work and we're were crashed out on the couch for six hours binge watching and you know three glasses of wine in netflix is like are you still watching like that's a sign that you know your crutch is becoming systemic yeah there's other things going on what then when you start to recognize that you're in burnout what then you still got to get the kids to school. You're still the taxi driver, the chef. You're still the super mom. But now all of a sudden you're like, don't call me that again. <laughs> now what? You, you recognize you got burnout. Now what? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is becoming aware. And what I really like to work with parents on is this concept of the window of activation. And or I'm sorry, the window of tolerance. And okay. that was developed by Dan Siegel. And really, in a nutshell, he has some great videos on it. Uh, in a nutshell, it's really tracking where our sweet spot of emotions is. And what we want to really identify, I mean, we're going to have little things throughout the day. Our kids are going to forget their lunch or they're going to get sick at school and we need to go pick them up or our coworker is going to make us a little mad, whatever. Like that's just life. Like we have ups and downs. What we really want to start identifying is what is making us go into the extreme. So either, either our fight or flight mode or our freeze mode. And it takes some time to identify this stuff. It's not going to be an overnight or a one-time thing, but when you're in burnout and you start really identifying those emotions and those triggers that are sending you into one of the activations, we can A, start becoming aware, and then we can use healthy, safe resources to to help us get back to that sweet spot of emotions. Because as you said, we sit on the couch for three hours and we get annoyed when Netflix asks us if we're still watching because then we feel guilty <laughs> that we've been watching for three hours and haven't played a game with our kids or, you know, spent quality time with them or we're a bottle in and we think, well, there's another bottle on the counter. Maybe I'll just pop open that. And so we need to start using these safe, healthy resources versus these numbing resources or survival coping mechanisms that really don't do us any good. It's just pushing us back further into that spiral when what we need to do is get out of it. So we need to start becoming aware of it and we need to start making some changes. I mean, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Sometimes we need to do the opposite action, even when it feels like a challenge. 
real quick, I it one of the things that strikes me about what you just said is, you know, the kid forgets their tuba, the kid forgets lunch, the kid forgets a paper, the kid forgets. I think one of the things that starts to show up is this idea of I am responsible for my child's success. I am, if it, you know, and if I don't do it, no one will. And if I do it right, I'll get the love, the attention and respect, right? This is in its own way. This is some pretty vicarious living that, that somehow your child not finishing their homework is reflecting on you, that your child not telling you about the costume they need for such and so, or the project that they need some help on is somehow a reflection of you missed it. And now you have to make it up. And I'm, I'm wondering your thoughts about how much are you actually responsible for as a parent? Well, I think we can kind of go back to our to our previous point of, well, if our kid forgets to bring their diorama to school, that's a reflection on us because how dare us as parents not let them finish it or not stay up until midnight right. to finish it for them, right? And I think this is a really common thing that has happened over the last like decade or two where we always want our children to succeed and we're willing to do anything to make that happen. And I call BS on it. We shouldn't be doing that. We need to let our kids suffer. We need to let them fail. If your kid is continuously forgetting their lunch, forgetting their tuba, forgetting this, forgetting that, it's okay to say, you forgot it. Now I need you to problem solve and figure out what you're going to do. And it's not because we're doing that out of hostility. It's because we really need to teach them to problem solve. And when we stand in their way and try mow out all these obstacles, there is the term lawnmower parent. I'm not sure if you've talked about it on your show before. Sure uh, but yeah. And what happened, and this was actually a sermon that I saw at our church that was really impactful to me because I had never heard that before. And he was saying, when we mow out all the obstacles for our kids, what we're doing is we are not allowing them to strengthen their suffering muscle. So when there is a time in their life when they have to deal with rejection from a significant other or a job interview or a trauma or a hardship, because everyone is going to have that in their life, when we are not there, they are not going to know how to handle it. And I say, let our kids kids see us fail and see how we bounce back from it so they can learn. Kids are sponges. We don't need a mirror to see how we act. We just need a child because they are going to show us the good, bad, and ugly. And sometimes that's a hard pill to swallow. However, we need to see them fail too so that we can help them equip them with tools on how to recover from it versus going to this downward spiral all the time. So many parents, and I've heard this even from experts, are, are you know, the, the kids these days are less resilient. Well, that's exactly what happens to a kid when the parent's out front mowing down or shoveling away all the obstacles, is that when they do actually hit an obstacle, they have no safe failure. They have no fail-forward practice. Failing forward is one thing video games teach children really, really well. Like, <clears throat> you, you, your, your avatar dies a thousand times before you beat the level. You beat the level. And you had to keep trying again and trying again until you focused on your strategy. How many lunches do you think your child is going to miss if you set the responsibility of lunch on your child to make their lunch at home? Because you're not buying them the school lunch. They got to make it at home. If they forget and they're hungry, will they die? And every time you jump in front of them and make sure they have it and drive to school because they don't, they don't suffer that 
half a day of being hungry and complaining about it and a parent going, bummer, what's your plan? It also doesn't communicate that you actually trust them to deal with their conflicts. I don't think children are less resilient. I think Gen Xer and some millennial parents are less willing to let their children suffer a little bit. And that's because they have an, their own disfigured experience and trauma around suffering. And now it's all suffering is bad versus bad suffering is bad. So this, this then turns, okay, if a lot of these types of parenting behaviors are being done because we don't want our children to fail, how is it, is this, is this just parent stress? Is this just parent trauma? Is this just parent? Parent becomes aware they're doing it. Now they're aware. Now what? Is this therapy time? Like, what's this next step into? I'm going to let my child fall flat on their face. I think that therapy is amazing. I highly encourage people to go to therapy. I think there is usually something in our childhood. I will tell you, I had a great childhood. My parents are amazing. They've been married over 40 years. They are very loving and supportive and, you know, always there when I need them. Probably a little too much because I was definitely that college student being like, hey, mom, will you make me a doctor's appointment? I don't feel good. Uh, so I, I, you know, I have my own faults in that thing, in those things. Uh, but I think therapy is great because there's things that we can unpack from our childhood still that didn't serve us. And I know that my parents were great. And I know when it came to emotional things and mental health issues that were happening within our family, it very much got swept underneath the rug because it was uncomfortable. Because when they grew up, they were told, don't worry about that. We're not talking about that. You shouldn't feel that way. So that's what they kind of handed down because that's the only tools they knew. And so I think therapy is amazing for that third party source of just being able to have an unbiased opinion and help you gain some of these foundational tools. I think setting up boundaries is kind of an over use term. However, it's really important to know that you do have to set boundaries and it's going to be messy and uncomfortable. So when you tell your child, you know what, this is the third day in a row that you forgot your lunch and I am unable to bring it to school for you and I need you to figure another solution out. Like that is setting up a boundary with your child and that is okay. You don't need to run to their rescue all the time. But there are three different types of boundaries. There's the underbounded, which can also cause burnout, which you are just kind of that doormat and people pleasing and then resentment can come in because you feel like no one is reciprocating it back to you, even though you're not asking for it, you're just expecting. Then we have the overbounded, which we can go into extremes of that of like, fine, you told me to set boundaries, I'm going to set up this wall, I'm not letting anyone in. And I'm just gonna, you know, be the meanest person, uh, or at least that's what people think you're coming off of. And then there's that health, healthy, flexible boundary, where you're able to set up boundaries, knowing that they may change, and it can be a fluid thing based on the different seasons and different situations in your life. Now, that's not saying being wishy washy, but you're opening up that door of like, this is my boundary right now with you. And and if for four months you never forget your lunch and then one day you forget it, sure, I'll bring it to school for you. But if you're continuously forgetting your lunch, you need to make that boundary of like, I need you to problem solve. And they might think you're mean at first, but again, you're doing it so you can build that suffering muscle, build that critical thinking and that problem solving that they're going to need in every other area of their life as they grow up. Where do you think most parents are really struggling with this whole boundary concept right now? Which of those three, which is the one that you see the most with your clients? 
the underbounded. I mean, and I was guilty of that as well, doing everything and anything and never wanted to ask for help. And I think that was really because I had that high expectation of myself and because I would get praised when I'd meet that high expectation from my family, from my husband, you know, from outside sources. It was really hard to think, what am, who am I if I don't meet that? So I'm just going to continue trying to be everything for everyone and really making my own mental health suffer because of it. I also want to bring up that you're really big into some natural health and well-being process and products. What are, you, what are we talking about here? Yeah. So I am a huge advocate for swapping out toxins in our home by using a natural, safe, products. And the biggest one that I use in our home is doTERRA. So we use all their essential oils. We use a lot of their products. And the reason is, is when my kids were about one, I started understanding how many toxins we were bringing into our home. And so we go to the store and we think, oh my gosh, it's on the shelf. It obviously has to be safe for us. Otherwise, why would they, why would they sell it? They have our best interest in mind, right? Um, And the truth is that there's a lot of hidden junk in the things that we're purchasing from the store. And one of the biggest indicators, especially on personal care products, because for those moms listening, uh, the average woman puts about 168 chemicals on her body every single day without knowing it. And that might seem like a lot. 168? 168. Because if you think about it, we get up, we brush our teeth, we take a shower. So we're using body wash, maybe shaving cream, shampoo, conditioner. We get out, we put lotion on, we put makeup on, we use hair products. I mean, you could probably hit that 168 just in your morning routine. And we don't realize all the things. And one of the biggest indicators is seeing the word fragrance on a bottle. Because unfortunately, with and I'm from marketing, uh, because of marketing loopholes, there could be a 100 different chemicals in there making that fragrance. There could be a thousand different chemicals making that fragrance, but all they have to list is fragrance. And I think people are aware that there are some harmful things. I mean, a very popular baby care company uh, a couple years ago, you know, came out that they had cancer causing ingredients, yet people still go buy it. And a lot of companies, because natural solutions are more on top of mind for people, they're coming out with this, you know, free and clear and greenwashing to make them look more natural. And unfortunately, they're not. You really have to do research as the consumer. And one of the reasons I love using natural products is because we don't realize how much it's affecting our health mentally, physically, and emotionally. When you use things like essential oils, that's one of the quickest tools you can use to uplift your mood and to calm you down. Aromatherapy has been around for years, but a lot of people don't understand when you smell a pure essential oil, and I'm talking pure, not the stuff from Walmart, that's $5, you're getting ripped off, don't buy it. Uh, when you smell it, it's working with the olfactory bulb in your nose, which is sending signals to the brain uh, into the specific part that deals with your moods and emotions. And so we can use these natural tools to become more proactive. Like, let's deal with the lunch thing before it happens. Let's deal with the stomach ache before it happens. Let's deal with the moods before we go down into our spiral. Um, so I'm super passionate about helping moms replace toxins in their home because it just can affect so many different areas of our lives. I love the term you used, greenwashing, uh, as as the whole natural, organic, whole food, you know, fad really kicked into play mid-90s. One of the things I saw a uh, McDonald's use was about their chicken nuggets. They said, it's 100% tender. And I was like, 100% tender? What does that even mean? Like, that's tender? 
what? And but the way it's that's the greenwash. Our brain automatically says it's a hundred percent, and that's the only part we listen to. And we actually, I actually had a um, a guest on um, about two years ago, specifically talking about DoTerra products um, and and the essential oils. And as I told you off air, I love my essential oils. Eucalyptus is a Big one that I use a lot. Uh, it brings me very present, brings me into the moment. I actually called the episode my woo-woo episode because not everybody understands the level of purity, but you can wash with these things. They, they can they can go in your, your, your cleaning, the steam in your shower, like just, just smelling them, putting them on your pillow. They, it's really a fascinating, I'm going to call it science behind it. And now when people come to your website, is this something you go into? Is this something they can come talk to you about? Yeah, absolutely. So part of my website is really building your own parent toolbox. So I have free downloads to talk more about the window of tolerance, using safe and healthy resources, giving you ideas. I have activities for younger kids so you can kind of make it into a family uh, event or culture, I'll say, so that it's not just you working on it, but it's your whole family working on it. And then I have other ways that you can build your toolbox, like through coaching and a mastermind and also those natural tools as well. And if you don't use doTERRA, the only thing I say to your your listeners is just, again, make sure you do your research. Because as you said, things get so popular. And then there's a lot of companies out there mislabeling because they can, because oils are not FDA regulated. And so just be cautious of what we're using. And I think when it comes to parenting in general, if we just take that pause versus thinking that we have to figure everything out exactly at the moment, uh, we could change a lot of things and be more proactive about a lot of things. So aside from the parenttoolbox.info, um, which you also have a podcast there, so we want to make sure that people are going to your your podcasts, um, and this is Mom Essentials, right? Correct. Yes. So we talk about the best and messiest parts of motherhood, everything from body image to parenting tips. We have some dads on there. Uh, we also talk about things like financial pieces and legal pieces and just really everything in between because motherhood is not just a one size fits all type of situation. Now, where else can they find you? Can they follow you on Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, LinkedIn? Let's see, TikTok, we could Snapchat. No, where else can we go? <laughs> yeah, so I'm on Instagram and Facebook at The Parent Toolbox. Uh, I also am on LinkedIn just under my name. Uh, and then my website, those are kind of the places I hang out. And then, of course, the podcast as well. When we talk about, um, okay, we're going to... We're going to, we're aware of the problem. We're going to switch the paradigm. We're going to, we're going to put ourselves first. Putting ourselves first is this great ambiguous concept. Oh, take care of yourselves first, right? That's, that's the tagline of every single podcast I've ever done. Take care of yourself first. But I've had to break this down into shows of what this actually means. What does this actually look like? What is step one in your mind? What does this mean? This if you find out you're burned out, you're you're not super mom and nobody's supposed to be. You're buying into the crap on social media and you're like, that's it. It's going to be about me. For you, Angie, to, to, to my listeners, what's step one? Step one would be give yourself grace. 
So I don't think we do that enough where, again, we hold ourselves to these standards. And again, I was just talking to someone today and I said, we're all going to mess up our kids one way or another. Like, I know I'm going to. My kids are going to be in therapy in 20 years and I who knows what they're going to talk about. I mean, I have a couple ideas, but, um, you know, we're all going to mess up a little bit and that's okay. There's no perfect parent. And with the term of, you know, putting ourselves first, a lot of times self-care is the hot word that comes into that. And I think we make too big of a deal of what self-care looks like. It doesn't have to be two hours at the spa. It doesn't have to be going on an hour long walk every day. It can literally be five minutes doing something that you enjoy that just recharges your battery a little bit. If we can continue to make those little steps, we're going to be far better off because otherwise when we make it into this big grand thing that we have to do, we don't do it because it feels overwhelming. So let's break it down a little bit, give ourselves grace and just focus on those little things that are going to recharge us than thinking that we have to do this big thing. I want you to make sure that you go listen to Mom Essentials. It's on Spotify. It's on Apple Podcasts, anywhere you're going to get your shows. And make sure you go to her website, this parenttoolbox.info. It is easy to give lip service. And I really agree with what she said. It's very easy to get lip service on self-care. And just like January 1st, everybody heads to the gym. And then by February 14th, you haven't been there in two weeks. Self-care can be the same thing where you make these big grand schemes, these big grand plans you blow out by spending two hours doing something for yourself and all this feels really good and it's really important and it's not sustainable because you can't do it every day so what's the version of self-care that is the daily version that's the every day i'm gonna just take this five minutes three minutes one hour 30 minutes just for me and that adds up That's compounding interest. A little bit each day adds to a lot each week versus one big thing that you just can't sustain because you don't have the time, you don't have the money, you don't even have the energy to go get three massages a week. So what's your version in the parenting classes that I teach? We have that question. If you had a week for self-care, what would you do? Oh, the lists are spectacular. Great, if you had a day, what would you do? If you had an hour, what would you do? If the principal from the school called you and told you your kid was in trouble again and you had to go pick him up, what do you do if you only got three minutes? That's the self-care that becomes sustainable. So make sure you're figuring out what the little versions are too. They add up. One little thing, the slight edge. One thing every day. I want to thank Deepin Productions for the producing of this podcast, for the music that I love, and for making me sound really good. Parents, of course, thank you for coming back each and every week to listen to a new episode of Beyond Risk and Back, and for leaving those awesome reviews. Thank you so much. They really are helping. And as always, and as we said today in the show with Angie Weber, take care of yourself first your adult relationship second, and your children third. Because that's how you're going to do your best work with your kids. I'll see you next time on Beyond Risk and Back.